in the band. Black X6, bam. Wait and see. Look like a band. We are awesome dads, okay husbands, and terrible golfers. We dive into golf, fatherhood, and life. This is the Breakfast Balls Podcast. Nailed it. Welcome to episode 50 of the Breakfast Balls Podcast with your host Mark Budden and Chris Laporta. Today, we probably have, hands down, the most valuable guest we've ever had on this show. Yeah, I would agree with that. Valuable, um, influential. We saved him for episode 50 for a reason. It used to be Chris's handicap. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> joining us today is TJ Sullivan, PJ professional, works at Golf Tech in Oak Brook. <laughs> okay, that perfect. That was a, it was a Ron Burgundy moment. For I'm some Ron reason, Burgundy? I went blank on the Oak Brook. But he, ladies and gentlemen, he is responsible for taking Chris from a 13 handicap to an eight handicap in one year. Not Chris. Chris had nothing to do with it. <laughs> it. TJ is the man behind the curtain, the mastermind of all this. Taught Chris how to play golf in one year. Well, thanks so much, guys, for for having me having me on. It's an honor and a privilege. Didn't know you guys were all the way up to 50 by now, but it's been uh, it's been a fun journey so far with Chris. And our history goes back a little bit longer than uh, just just this past year, but yeah, yeah. In, enlighten our viewers of how you two know each other up before before diving into that terrible swing that he has. <laughs> yeah, I think I guess it was probably like ninety five, ninety six ish. It was actually became really good friends with his younger brother Pat. You guys do first names? You guys do family names and everything? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're fine. All right, cool. Yeah, my brother yeah, Pat. Pat and I became relatively close around like seventh grade or so. And we really got to know Chris because he was an integral part of helping Pat supply some alcohol for our high school parties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Perfect. I think it was I think it was maybe Chris's fake ID that Pat was using because they looked like twins. Yeah. Uh, that was that was really when I started to get to know Chris. And I think Chris, you knew my sister a little bit too, right? Yeah, your sister and I were in the same grade. We yeah, we went to grade school together and then high school together. Obviously, the the massive high school that we went to of thirty five hundred people or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, didn't even know half the kids in my graduating class of eight hundred yeah. or whatever. But uh, yeah, so um, T- TJ and I have a, a pretty long history. Our families know each other, and that uh, that fake ID got landed Pat in some big trouble one year. I think Graham. Your buddy Graham was throwing a party and there was a fight that broke out and the cops came and my brother had my fake ID and ended up having to spend the night in jail, I think, because of that and lost his license for a period of time too for having the fake ID. Yeah, and this um, was high school? In high school, yeah. This was probably his senior year. I was, I would have been... You'd have been college, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, maybe it was year. freshman year of... Maybe it was your freshman year of college. Maybe it was freshman year college. I don't. I don't remember. Either way, moot point. Yeah, that ID traveled throughout time and uh, got him some, landed him some trouble. But sorry, let me take a, a sip out of my drinky drink. So TJ, why don't can you just maybe go into your your golf background a little bit when you started playing your college years at Coastal Carolina and then your journey through Golf Tech because you've you started at Golf Tech in the city and I think you ran that place too and now you run the, the place at Oak Bricks. And I'd love to hear some of your accolades too because you are a renowned golf instructor in the golf world, man. Pat yourself on the back as much as you want. Because if you don't, I'm going to. 
<laughs> yeah, so I'll give you a modified long story. Obviously, growing up in the Chicago suburbs, always wanted to become a professional athlete, go to North Carolina, just like MJ. <laughs> but once I realized that I was white and couldn't jump, that that dream was shot in the dark for, for basketball, at least. And then I said to myself, all right, I really like this whole golf thing. Why don't I just play golf at North Carolina? So I spent my freshman and sophomore year in high school just assuming that the college recruiters would come after me after shooting uh, 37 for nine holes or 38 for nine holes as a sophomore and kind of thought that was all I had to do. And then reality set in and realized that wasn't even close to good enough to play at a renowned school like that and had a boss uh, who went to this weird school called Coastal Carolina and went through like a professional golf management program, told me about it. And I was like, that sounds cool. I want to be in the golf business. I, I love golf. It's the only thing I really want to do. So went to Coastal Carolina for four years, four and a half years, and got a finance degree and a like how to become a golf pro degree. I graduated with my PGA class A card, which just means that I'm certified and through the PGA of America. Got a job right out of college with Golf Tech in the city, as you mentioned. Spent two years with at one location, moved about two miles down the road for another five or six, and then moved back to that original location for another three or four. So my math is bad, but that should be about nine years, <laughs> 10 years or so. Went to the Oak Brook location and been there ever since. So my as soon as I got involved with Golf Tech, it was a pretty easy decision that, you know, found this mentor who was a master professional. I said, cool, how do you do that? And I looked into it, had to become a, I, was, I had to be a pro for eight years to go through their certified pr program. Once I did that, then you had to go through this master professional program. And I am proud to say that I'm the third youngest in the country to receive that, the highest honor of about know, three percent or something like that of uh, professionals that actually have that certification and youngest in Illinois and third youngest in the country. Uh, do you make people call you master? Only my wife. <laughs> <laughs> master TJ. No, no uh, not at all. <clears throat> That's funny. I would. I think I'm going to call you master TJ for the rest of this episode. That's, um, uh, you, you can do that if you want. Other people call me coach or just TJ or Ted, either way. <laughs> Oh, dickheads reserved for Chris. Master so. dickhead? Yeah. Well, so were you at the one on Halstead? Yeah, I was there. So that was the one that I started at and okay. then the one that I finished at as well. There was one inside of Golfsmith in Lincoln Park, yeah. which is actually that closed <laughs> a few years prior to Golfsmith going bankrupt. Yeah. That's right. That one that was, on, that was on Clybourne. Yeah, Clybourne and uh, Diversity. Yeah. And like Damon over there. Yeah, I remember the one on uh, Halstead very well, only because it'd be at the bar across the street and look out and be like, I should get lessons. Yeah. George Street? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, George, George Street, Street Pub. Pub. We spent yeah. A oh, yeah. Pub Shout time. out to George Street. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've frequented there all too often. Yeah. Usually multiple times a day. I hope it's still open. I think uh, they yeah, are. I don't know. I follow oh, them. <laughs> I follow <laughs> them. Yeah. They're, okay. they're, they're, they were still kicking last time I saw. So That's good. You just, don't know, were, what, you just don't know what yeah. survived after last year. Yeah. So DJ, talk a little bit. I, I, don't sell yourself short here, man. You got some pretty big accolades. I think this year, or 2020, you won, or not won, but you were recognized as a one of the top golf instructors, what, under 40? Was that it? Yeah. So in 2019 and 2020, Golf Digest comes out with a list of the best teachers in the state. 
and I got selected to be part of that list. So in the state of Illinois, one of 15 instructors, I think. And then this past year was selected and honored as a Golf Digest Best Young Teachers, which basically instructors under the age of 40. And that was, that was really cool. It was surreal, honestly. I actually still take a whole bunch of advice from a lot of the guys on that list and still talk to them on a monthly basis, just asking them like what they're doing and how they're doing it. And to be selected to be in that same conversation is pretty cool. I was just say to be a master, to be selected as one of the top coaches in Illinois and to have somehow fixed Chris Laporta's swing all before 40. <laughs> and um, one, of the, one of the top youngest instructors in the country, not just Illinois, one recognizes a top young instructor in the country. I'm trying to sell him short apparently. Is yeah. So you're pretty fucking good. I think that sums it up pretty well. I, I have a really great support system, and, and not to get too advertising, but the support system that we have with Golf Tech is absolutely fantastic, and I owe almost all of Chris's uh, success to that. Is is the Golf Tech philosophy? Is that was that a group of people? Are you part of that group of people that comes up with the ongoing kind of how, how you guys go about your approach of the swing, what you guys see? I'm sure you guys have weekly meetings or whatever talking about different nuances and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't really know how much influence I have necessarily. Really, the if you look at like the mission statement or the philosophy, the underlying philosophy is just to help as many people get better at golf as possible. So I mean, as stupid as that sounds, it's really true. That's what we do. We help people play better golf. So the like 96% success rate over the course of millions of golf lessons taught. Hmm. So it's, I think within our center, I get information from like headquarters, which is out in uh, Denver. And they basically say, here's what we're really trying to do. And let's just go ahead and do it. So I have four different staff guys that are under me who just hopefully do what I ask them to do. And then once they do that, then I stay out of their way. That's really, but like on a super high level. There's a whole bunch of big data that we've conducted over the course of the years with the overall golf swing, like mm -hmm. where the club and where the body should be at certain stages, which in specific areas directly correlate to skill level. For example, Chris, like you were starting the golf ball left and curving it left. And it was mainly because of where your hands were as you started the backswing. We know that the more you make that swing a little bit differently, it directly correlates to skill level and so you just assume that you make that adjustment you should be shooting some lower scores. It was easy, Mark. I don't mean to oversimplify it, but yeah. that's really what it is. Yep. I, yes, he was starting it left and um, <laughs> making it go further left. <laughs> Went what, far. Yeah, it would go extremely far, just 300 yards in the wrong direction. I'll use a pull hooks. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I am great at some snapdragons too. But one of the things that I I am impressed that he has somehow gotten rid of is the shanks. I, I don't know how you got him to do it, but he was notorious for, I don't know, once every other round, he would go into the spell where he would just start hosel rocketing everything. And it was just un almost unbearable. I felt bad. I felt bad and, I was, and it was, yeah, to a point I felt bad, <laughs> but somehow he has, I don't want to say he stopped it because every now and then it'll come back, but he is definitely recognized when he does it and how to quickly correct it. So maybe you can talk a little bit about the, his hosel rocket or just hosel rockets in general. I don't want to give away all your tips because I want uh, people to no, come I to mean, you, but, 
maybe just a quick on how you corrected his hosel rockets. <laughs> yeah. Now, this was a little while ago. This was probably about a year ago, wasn't it, Chris? Where we, yeah. we actually did like one lesson over the Nymphville Golf Tech. Probably, probably um, 29, yeah, 2019. Maybe no, well, so January of 20, you and I had one lesson over at uh, the Naperville. Oh, location yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Where you were struggling mightily. And so for you, it was actually twofold. One was like, I think both of the reasons stem back from your history with baseball. So with baseball, you're trying to hit like a round ball that's moving, which just seems idiotic to me with a, like an oblong bat. Aside from the fact that seems just nearly impossible for me. And it was as a young baseball player slash T-ball, but for you, you directly correlated using the shaft with making contact with the golf ball and that's obviously not the part of the club that we want to hit the ball with you want to hit it with the face so some of it some of the adjustments that we made for you was mechanical like i mentioned having the hands work a little bit more like around your body to start the backswing and keep them a little bit lower so as the hands work more i'm going to use the word inward i'm just going to speak the way that i speak your hands move a little bit more inward that actually keeps the shaft or the hosel of the club farther away from the golf ball but then what really helped beyond that was when I just had you miss purposely. Yeah. And I remember the look that you gave me in, like, the first time I said that, I was like, hey, I want you to miss the ball completely. And you just looked at me like I had nine heads. But Mark, if you can imagine having a ball and then, you know, almost always correlating it with hitting it on the shaft. Mm-hmm. So then if you go on the opposite side and try to miss it significantly, uh-huh. then you have to do something in your swing. And for Chris, it was just, you know, like pulling his hands in a little bit more. So he was able to, miss the golf ball completely which again sounds like a really weird ask for a, for a professional to ask someone but no i've seen chris do that on, of, on, i've seen chris <laughs> completely miss a golf ball before so it's really this usually, one was intentional usually drugs and alcohol are involved yeah when that takes I've place seen it happen. but no so i i remember that lesson vividly because i go back to that a lot and it was simply tj wasn't telling me what to do he was giving me an action to do. He said, miss the ball. And he knew my body would work to do that. And it, it did that. I tried to miss the ball. I didn't try to do anything else. I didn't try to do anything with my hands. I didn't try to do anything with my sure. backswing. He just said, miss the ball. However you can miss the ball, miss the ball. Okay. And okay, that's Should we all tell Mark what happened the first time? Yeah, you can. You can. So this thing went... So first of all, I think I asked you to do it slowly and you went about 98 miles an hour. And so that's, that's how I work, baby. That's how I work. And this thing ricocheted 90 degrees or 89 degrees <laughs> laterally and hit our foresight sensor, making this loud bang to a point where one of my other guys like peeked his head in. is like, hey, is everyone OK in here? And then once you actually did start to miss it, then I got excited. Yes, now you're actually doing it. But yeah, the, that first attempt was... It was scary. I mean, it was, it was called the equipment. I, I broke the $3,500 uh, <laughs> sensor ah. on the ground. But the hard part was, is because a lot, I think a lot of what was happening at the time was that I was coming back pretty shallow and then casting straight over the top. And I was coming in on the ball and it was hitting the hosel. And for me, like to do that first swing where I had to try to miss the ball, it was so much trying to stop so much of the swing from going like this over the top. Mm. I was close, but I, I definitely hit the toe really hard and just hit it straight <laughs> into the, or maybe I hit the hosel still. I don't remember, but it went straight. It went straight, right? Really hard. And uh, yeah, TJ may let me come back up for that. I was going to say, break that equipment. Well, it wasn't his, it wasn't his uh, location. So he's oh, probably okay right. with it. 
I was, they were remodeling the Oakbrook location. So I was at the <laughs> Naperville location. Good God. But that, that probably, that was probably one of the biggest points for me turning the corner with my golf swing. Because mm-hmm. when you, when I work with TJ, and this is what we do a lot is he gives me an analogy instead of, instead of he does give me direction on what he wants me to do and what he want what he wants to see. But his right. guidance is usually try to do something. He wants me to try to do this and let my body work that way versus being very technical and being very like directive. Okay. You need to be here and here in the backswing instead of doing something like the drill we did in Naperville. He's like, just miss the fucking ball. And then he knew if I kept practicing that, what my body would start doing. Yeah. Now I'm to the point where if I feel, I can feel something in my swing. Like I can feel when I'm pull hooking, I go back to that. I go back to hit the inside of the ball or miss the ball, right? To that. And I know that keeps me inside of the golf ball and that path going, as we talk about baseball terms a lot at, at, at lessons, is going down the right field, right field foul line. Yeah. Or, or first base dugout. First base dugout. Yeah. Even farther <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, TJ is the man. Can't I can't say enough about what he did for my swing and like took probably like twelve years of garbage golf and fixed it in a year. Yeah, yeah. So TJ, hats off to you. I am. I'm both extremely um, grateful for what you've done, but at the same time, a little pissed. <laughs> Only because well, yeah, now Chris is taking your money. I don't know about that, but he's definitely competitive. He's definitely com- we're, we, him and I are definitely competitive now. Just about every time out. So where in the past it was like he was just a '90s golfer. That's all it was, and it was just which is fine. You can't live your life that way. No, and, and part of me enjoyed that he would struggle, and I didn't have to worry about it. But yeah, you resent TJ a little, don't you? Right uh, so that's what I was going for. I am very grateful for what you've done, but eh, that makes me think if I just go to TJ for 10 minutes, he could probably fix this and uh, fix your straight over the top swing. That's 20 years in the making. So, so it bothers Mark greatly, TJ. And I'll give you a quick background. So our, I don't know if you know, but our wives are sisters. So we're brother-in-laws by marriage, more or less. And uh, so we spend a lot of time together. And mm-hmm. what, what drives Mark crazy is that he's been playing golf his whole life. And I've been playing for a third of my life, if mm-hmm. that. And I'm better than him now. And uh, it drives him fucking crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah it does. You, you could say you're better than me. But it, but, it, it drive, mean, does drive me crazy that he's already he's had a hole-in-one and I have not. I've been playing since I was, let's just say 12. I've been playing since I've been 12. Where was it? So, yeah, my hole-in-one? Yeah, his was yeah. in upstate New, upstate New York. New York. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thousand Island Golf Course, Country Club. There you go. Thousand Island Dressing. Yeah. This is a town that created Thousand Island. It's their country club <laughs> in upstate and, New York. And now you ha- you'll forever be associated with them. Thousand Island. Yeah. Every time he gets a salad now. Thousand Island Dressing. Every time. It's disgusting. Thousand Island Dressing is disgusting. <laughs> it's like thicker ranch and it's pink. Mark, where were you? Where do you play a lot? Uh, so him, Chris and I both live in Mount Prospect. So I play a lot of the courses he does. We played a lot together the last two years. I don't play as much as he does, but I play a lot. So I play Mount Prospect a lot. I've played Chris's club quite a bit. And then just anywhere. There's a lot of good courses, obviously in the Chicagoland area. As far south as Mistwood, all the way up to Shepherd's Crook, right on the border, right by Thunderhawk. Yeah, it, I like a. Prairie Landing is one of my favorite out west. 
yeah. you name it, I'll play it. And yeah, I, I think I have quite a bit of courses. Obviously, maybe not necessarily the, the private ones, but uh, a lot of the public courses in and around the Chicagoland area. There's some good public golf, man. There's some great public golf. That's why, uh, yeah, it's, you can't really go wrong. There's a lot of good places you can play north, south, uh, west. If you go east, you're in the lake. But yeah, there's a lot of good courses. What about yourself, TJ? I know you coach a lot. So do you get to play a lot or do you get to play at all? So last year, obviously, being the COVID year, you would think that I played more. My first round, I want to say, was maybe in July. I think mm-hmm. played 18 over at Village Links of Glen Ellen. Okay. And then I played in a September. I played in a birdie for charity where we played five rounds in one day. So that tell, was absolutely tell, fantastic. Tell how many birdies to, you had. You had a lot of fun. Oh, birds. I can't remember. 20, it was like 30. Yeah, it was either 28 or 32, something like that. In five know, rounds. I can't remember. Mark hasn't had that in five years, TJ. So one of them twice because there was an eagle in there. So that was so that was six rounds in two days, and then I played Ruth Lake for in a playing lesson another day, and then I played at the Burn, played thirty six holes. So I played four to five days, nine rounds. To be fair, you've also had you also had a new baby this year. Yeah, she was born in like Halloween. Oh, okay. I thought yeah, yeah you're so right. Actually, yeah, she was born I've fall. Not, yeah. No, you don't have that excuse. Sorry. Can't, can't use I was that trying one. to give you like a, <clears throat> trying to give you like a. No, so my average, I would normally play, again, without this birdies for charity thing, I would normally play five to 10 rounds of golf a yeah. year. I made a new resolution to play in three section events and I'm already signed up for one of them. That's awesome. And then trying to do like maybe a Sunday morning early thing over at, I live in Wheaton. So like Cantini's five minutes away, Arrowhead's five minutes away. Two of Chris's favorite courses. Yeah. So Cantini and Arrowhead are dead to us now. Yeah. Yeah. Cantini, uh, the Santa scramble, we Santa Claus scramble, we put on seven for charity and Cantini's held had it the last four years. This year they decide without telling us to throw the event on their own and take the event and host it there without saying anything to us. Yeah. I same look and gave uh, zero and gave zero dollars to charity. Where no dollars to is all for profit through Kemper sports. So <laughs> everything we always did, every dollar went back to charity. Right. I don't care that they threw a similar event. If they would have called and said, Hey, we're going to throw the, we're going to throw a similar event. They called it the same thing. They had a lot of the same gimmicks that we did mm-hmm. and raised zero dollars for charity. And I was just yeah. disappointed with Kemper sports at that point for doing that. Right. And they did that at multiple locations. So they took our idea and put it at multiple locations. Yeah. Mm. An idea that we have trademarked and have done for the last seven years. We're just going to let it go. Let bygones be bygones, but I'll never play there again. And Arrowhead this year. So, so Chris has Chris has always had a I never liked stain for Arrowhead, which I don't know why. I played Arrowhead a lot in the early 2000s i went to college at north central so and a couple buddies would get summer jobs working uh at arrowhead so it'd be like yeah come on over at two o'clock and i'll get you on for 20 bucks so we played a lot of golf at arrowhead but then we so i finally convinced chris to go there this year to go back there because he's just had it out for it and then this happened go ahead chris yeah so we we had it was probably october right Finally got me out there. We had a 9.30 tea time. So there's a frost delay. 
you know, typical course procedure when there's a frost delay, they just, you just push the tee times back and you play when the frost delay is lifted. Apparently Arrowhead doesn't do that. If your tee time falls within the frost delay, they just cancel your tee time and you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had this, the same. Yeah. Yeah. So we're at the, we're at the pro shop and we're like, what, how's that even a thing? How are you guys doing that? How's that? How are you canceling tea times right now? Yeah, it's not like they call you and tell you, oh, by the way, we're under frost delay. Your tea time's canceled. They wait till you get there. They just say, hey, we're under frost delay. We'll, we'll get you checked in once we know when the frost delay is lifted. And then finally, when they lift the frost delay, they tell you, oh, your tea time is passed. You, you don't have a tea time anymore. You, you can't get on. Yeah. We, we can, might be able to squeeze you on after one. Yeah. Like, oh, hold, on so, uh, <laughs> hold on a second. So hold on a second. Finally, finally, I finally decided to go to Airhead, and I'll never go back. Yeah, and, and I don't blame you for that one. I don't I, know that I can go back because both of that. and I both mean, of those are, are not golf course related, right? Like Cantina is a great course. I, I won't go back out of principle. Yeah, you know, I never loved Arrowhead, but now I have a, a pretty valid reason why I would never go back there. But yeah, that's uh, pretty bad on both occasions. I yeah. think I think it just had to been. The staff that was working that day they didn't kids. quite understand what they were doing. They were those uh, were old men. They've <clears throat> they've done that for a long time. I I still think it's someone mis misunderstood, misremembered. What isn't that what, what they said? What Roger yeah. Clemens you misremembered? You misremembered what they were supposed steroids. to do. Yeah, or was that Pettit? It was Pettit or Clemens. Anyway, misremembered what they were supposed to do with frost delay and tea times. But, so TJ, um, you. Do you usually not play that much because, uh, just because of the job demand? Like you're, you know, usually working weekends and. Like I would love to just go out with some, go with some, some friends and just kick back. And I, I do enjoy that part of it. So my son is going to be four at the go. end of March, and as my daughter is three months or so. It was once he came around when he was born. I think I did one last. Hurrah, went to Pebble for the third time when he was like, I don't know, a few months old, went to Bandon that following October. And that was like, so I have one year where I go to two great facilities. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> definitely want to, I want to go to Cabot. Definitely like have all these great trips to plan. I want to do like the Wisconsin swing with like Lasonia and Aaron Hills. And I definitely know. want to do like Streamsong, Pinehurst the you know trent jones trail like, i want to do those things and i want to kick back and go to any golf course in the area may or may not be named arrowhead have <laughs> nine beers and nine holes and then have lunch afterwards and then come home and just hang out for the rest of the day that would be like a really cool day what i'm actually most excited about next year is when it finally gets warmer i think it was maybe like the first snowfall this past this past year, you know, my son was like, Hey dad, can we go to the golf course? So when it gets warmer, I'm really looking forward to taking him out to the golf course. Yeah. And, that's awesome. Uh, driving around and just have him hit a few shots and nice. yeah, the, um, that's fine. If I spend my afternoon and you know, say we're going to play nine holes and we get through three and then leave, that's worth it to me. Absolutely, so, man. That's the best. Yeah. Um, taking him out and taking him to the range with me, or we go out on a Sunday afternoon and play three four or five holes or i play nine and he only plays three or four and he drives the cart for a little bit just getting him out on the course and getting the experience yeah. just being around it it's just it's the best feeling man and, yeah uh, especially when they ask you yeah loving what dad does like you know? an inch of snow 
you want to go to the golf course? Yeah, I really do. Okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> they're close, yeah, but let's go. Right. <laughs> He's taking a liking at a you're one of your passions and b your profession too. So that's even. Well, I saw him putting. That's really cool. On Instagram, was that last week or earlier this week? And uh, he's better than me. Probably. Better putter than Mark for sure. Yeah, I'm sure. So I may be a decent full swing instructor. I don't know half of what I should in regards to putting. I don't want to like sell <laughs> myself short, but so I can coach it. I can do it fairly well, but for me to actually putt, it's really hard. And I was just getting getting really frustrated over the years. Like my buddies were making fun of me a whole bunch about how bad of a putter I am. <laughs> And world-renowned it's, it's golf relative, instructor right? is a terrible putter. It's, it's relative. So like, I'll probably have, like a hole. bad day is yeah, a bad day would be like thirty-four putts around. I think thirty-three putts it's around. A good day for and just getting like really frustrated by it. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get this perfect putting mat. <clears throat> Got it. Start using it. Have a eight-footer miss it, seven-footer miss it, and just get really frustrated. So it's fun. Like, Here, Dad, let me show you. And that's what I put on Instagram the other day, and it was just like. All right, man. Yeah, I know it's easier to make it if I'm closer, but it'd be nice if I actually knew what the hell I was doing myself. <laughs> yeah, no, I know that feeling quite well. I am a I'm a mental head case when it comes to putting. Yeah, I just lost my way this last year, especially. I, yeah, I've just got this philosophy. <clears throat> they're they're and TJ. I'm probably completely off base here. Probably. But, yeah, probably. good chance. Good chance I am. But yeah, but go ahead. We'd love uh, to hear it. Yeah, keep talking. There obviously is a technique to putting, but I feel like Mm -hmm. putting is not 100%, but like a lot of feel and a lot of confidence and a lot in between your ears. And maybe I'm wrong, but... Wow, great philosophy, by the way. No, I just feel like you can be over-technical with putting. Like you could put too much technique into it and, and screw yourself over where maybe if you relax a little bit, take the pressure off, that could have a big impact with your putting. But... I don't know how true I that is. I think you could say that about the golf swing too. Sure, though. you probably could. <laughs> yeah. If, if, so you just said a lot of words. <laughs> I'm good at that. <laughs> so it's hard for me to stand behind something that like you really can't measure. So, yeah, like, no, there's no I, data or science opinion, behind it. Yeah, so in my opinion, for putting, if you can roll it fairly well with close to the right accuracy-ish, but primarily the right speed and you know how to read greens. That's really what it comes down to. And those things are, in my opinion, a little bit more measurable. Like, can you, can you get it the right speed when you want to, can you hit at different speeds? Can you read greens? Can you go through some sort of process that gives you an indicator of the best chance of having the ball go in the hole? And if it doesn't, how do you, how do you interpret the miss? And then can you hit your target? So you have a, whatever, 10 foot putt can you hit it within a degree or so and it's usually going to get pretty close to going in most of the time what how big a, or how important is like having a, a routine with putting like walking through that walk through that process where like you read the green like how important is that to just be consistent with that i think that's probably the most important thing what for putting or just the swing yeah, for putting. everything yeah, for, for putting. yeah for putting and and for the swing you just don't want to have any like any like underlying factors of why'd you miss that putt? You didn't go through your process. You didn't go through. You didn't have the grip the same way, or you just lackadaisically. And then it just adds another variable that you don't have to deal with. Yeah. Do you help people with that routine, or do you them figure that out on their own and and work through that with them? I help them, especially if I feel like they need it. I don't like using the word it depends, but generally speaking, I'll give them some guidelines and say here's the parameters that you can stick with and 
finding finding a target, finding an intermediate target, go through the same process just about every time. There was a there was a study done on the European tour a few years ago. I can't remember who did it. Maybe AIG paid for it or someone did it. But they tested 16 different tour players over the course of four different rounds, and all 16 made the same made the cut for all four of them. So they had so many uh, swings and sample sizes, and what they found was that the guys that kept their pre-shot routine the most consistent performed the best, but even better, the people that actually kept their pre-shot routine a little bit faster performed even better than, so if you have a pre-shot routine that's really long and slow and drawn out, you're not going to do as well. And then people who have a very fast pre-shot routine, and it is very similar every single time, same number of practice swings, same number of looks at the hole, those guys actually earned, I want to say it was something like 200,000 pounds more than everyone else that was on that same study Really? over the course of four different tournaments. That's a good sample size. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, it was perfect. And they took out like the outliers, like if you have a shot underneath the tree or like you're really having some sort of unique shot, like most normal shots. Yeah. And it was within fractions of a second. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. A good example would be DJ, obviously having one this week. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. fast, very yeah. similar every time. Tiger, <laughs> like you can take a, a carbon copy of Tiger back in like 2000 putting and take a look at him now, and it is identical. It hasn't changed the, the routine. Yeah. yeah. That's, God, that's he, a good point. I would say he doesn't even change his putter either. Yeah, DJ. Yeah, once. yeah I think it's funny you say DJ. I, I'm pretty sure if someone told DJ you can't take practice swings, he'd be like, oh, great. <laughs> you know, I only take it, I take one practice swing just because everyone else is doing it, and I don't want to look weird. So I'm just going to take my one practice swing. I'm just going to go. Wait, I thought, <clears throat> I thought we had to do it, guys. Yeah, he'd be yeah. like, "No practice swings, got it, good." And I don't yeah. think he'd shoot. It. I think he'd still be just as good. I don't think it even phase him. Yeah, no, I, I think I think it's advisable for most people who don't know what they're doing, but for someone who is literally the best at their craft. He can do whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, that's true, and he does. Yeah, no, he does. Mark, so I, I would, I think you're pretty consistent with your routine. Yes. Yeah, I think you are. Like, no, I am. I, I play with you a lot. You're really consistent. I'm, I, I'm a little I am so superstitious when I play TJ. Yes. Like, I, it's crazy. But if I'm hitting the ball well and I'm not taking a practice swing, I won't do it for the to- the whole round. Or if I take a practice swing and I hit a bad shot, I'm like, all right, not, maybe I'll try two practice swings the next shot, or I won't try any. And I just get in my head that way. And I don't believe, I don't believe that my swing has anything to do with it. I believe that it all is, it's superstition. And it's because I took two practice swings at yep. that shot, not one. It's how many T's he has in his pocket. Yep. Yeah, it's and crazy. What, what the position of the ball marker, is it on the left side of his right pocket or is it in the right side of his right pocket? Could really Where's my phone in the off. card? Is it right. in the cup holder? or Is, is it, it back a- on the second hole because he got really drunk and was taking Instagram and forgot about it? Yeah, yeah. So, he's, very, I mean, he's very neurotic. I already mentioned your history with baseball. It's got to stem from... Yes. It absolutely does. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I told a story, I don't know how many episodes ago, about one of our one of our trips for baseball in college. And I ate Waffle House the first morning we got there and I had a two home run game and then I ate Waffle House the next like two days and I had two more home runs. And so I'll Waffle House the morning before every game. 
That's how he got so big in college, guys. And uh, ballooned to a good two sixty-five. And that's why that Waffle House was the big contributor to my success then. But I don't blame him one bit. Nothing to do with practice or like just having getting to a groove or no. It was all Waffle House. I wouldn't have done anything different. I would have been at Waffle House every day at the same time every day and ate the same exact thing. Baseball players are the most superstitious. I think sports creatures there are, yeah, and it's sure. definitely carried over to golf for me. Where I am, I am so neurotic. I will change my routine constantly until I have success, but it has yeah, nothing to, to do that. with my routine. I gotta keep my routine the same. I'm almost, I'm the same way. I don't like a very drawn out routine. I gotta be. I, I think it's just my attention span. If I start like thinking and looking and do it, what if I do this? Maybe I'll take an extra practice swing. Then I'm just, I'll get in my head. And I'll be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't hit a – maybe I'll hit a knockdown shot. No, I just got to grab a club, one practice swing, I have one look at the hole, and I go. And that's the only way it works for me. Otherwise, I'm going to be doing some – try to do something stupid. Maybe I'll play a, a low draw into the – no, stop. You can't do that. Yeah, hold it up against the wind on yeah, a no, like downhill lot. Like, yeah, it's no. a two-mile-an-hour wind. There's no wind. Stop. Stop it. Stop it. Just grab a club, look. Swing, step up to the ball, hit it, go. It's very profound and probably some really good advice for the vast majority of golfers. <laughs> and just speed of play. I, I don't have the patience to, to play yeah, we're, around we're anymore. Really, we're really big on pace of play. Here. <laughs> uh, Truthfully, I've got a buddy, and I won't mention his name, who will take three practice swings. I will, Matt. Are you talking oh, about Matt? Yep. Yeah, you did. Um, Are you talking about Matt? Yep. <laughs> It'll take three practice swings. If we're playing minimum. with him, it's an extra half an hour yeah. to 45 minutes around. It's three Guaranteed. practice swings minimum for a regular shot. And then he'll just stand there. Yep. And then he'll go to the ball. If I stand over the ball that long, I don't know. I, I just start thinking about weird things. Non-golf related. So <laughs> I, I got to get out of my own head. I've, I clearly yep. have a, a different problem with my psyche here so yeah i can't stand over the ball that long what are you bad thoughts come into my head if i do tj you've coached a lot of people obviously how much do you attribute like their success to changing their mentality versus actually changing their physical swing you know what i'm saying like you can change their thought process a little bit and change what they're doing fundamentally how much like impact do you think just the mental side of that has for them i know you can't so, measure that yeah i was saying he's nope i need statistics i need numbers yeah, no so i think it, it, this would be completely just off the top of my head but so i think if you're a relatively good ball striker and you can hit the golf ball relatively solid the majority of the time the game really isn't that much mental so Changing someone's psyche is more about just helping them hit the ball better. If you can hit the ball closer to the flag or hit the ball farther off the tee and in the fairway more often, yeah, your mental attitude is going to be a lot better. You're going to be a lot more sane if you're hitting those shots. Simply changing someone's mindset on a broad scale, probably not that important. However, right. when it comes down to like overall, maybe like course management or someone who does have some significant like yips or jitters or hosel rockets or something like that, then Mental maybe it is a issues. little bit more, you know, but, and then it's just a matter of spending a little bit of time with that person just to know, hey, is this really a, 
this a physical problem or is this a mental problem? And I'd say the vast majority of the time it's a physical problem. Just hey, move your grip like this, swing like this, hit the ground over here and go. And more often than not, now they still struggle after that and they are, they should be hitting it really good or they can't translate it to outside. That's when my job gets really fun because then I get to dive in and figure out, okay, what is really the root cause as to why this person is struggling? So I, I and think, even, be, even beyond that, it's more physical than anything else. What you did for, I'm, I'm going to put in there what you did for me, which a lot of what we did was technique related, right? 100%. But for me, being confident in that swing helped my mentality so much on the golf course where I wasn't stretching on a hole to make a shot that to make up for another shot. Cause I knew if I hit a bad tee ball or if I was going to be 160 to 170 out, I had a lot more confidence in my second shot. Or even if I hit a bad second shot, I knew that I can get up and down potentially. Before I started working with you, it was like, if I had a bad shot, I was thinking, how do I make up for the next shot? And that's where my mentality was at. So I don't want you to discount like what you do from a technique standpoint, because I think for you, or for me, it helped me tremendously on the mental side because I had so much more confidence in those other shots where, you know, like I, I don't need to go, I don't need to try to Eagle a par five on 265 out, right? Like just to hit 150, 170 yard shot and, and give yourself a chance for a par or, or a birdie. I don't need to do that anymore because I'm scoring more consistently. Yeah. There was, there was, right. a, there was a definitely a stretch there where Chris is like, what? I don't understand what you're saying. I'm like, why wouldn't I go for the green? It's 265. I'm under a tree. And I've got to hit a, a giant cut. I'm going to yeah, do, that. do that. Even though I've over never water. done it before, I'm going to go over the water. I'm going to cut this and I'm going to put it on the green. And he'd shank it in the water. And then, yeah, and know, I've saved so many strokes that way. And I don't know if that makes later, sense to you what I'm saying, but I think the, the, the mentality of giving someone the confidence in a swing just helps them tremendously once they understand that, okay, if I hit a bad shot, I don't need to make up for it. If I have a, if I get a double bogey, I don't need to try to go birdie the next hole because I know I can be more consistent throughout the round. Yeah. Does that make sense yeah, what I'm saying? Is, yeah, no, there's a lot there. I think there's, on one component of it is a little bit of just like understanding how to shoot lower scores. And you don't shoot low scores by making birdies. You shoot low scores by avoiding bogeys and doubles. Blow up holes. How you do it, yeah. yeah. And then on the other aspect of it is once you once you can hit a certain shot, you almost know how hard it is to hit that shot. So then you don't attempt it. <laughs> Could I hit a three iron underneath a tree over water, 230 with a little cut into the wind coming down the stretch? Could I do it? Yeah. Am I going to? Probably not. What are the, yeah, what are the it, odds of this happening? So it's more, so again, once you... But then to your point, you can hit on the green from 120 yards and just do the smart thing, lay up to 120 yards and then hit it onto the green, two by right. walk away with bogey and you win right. by one instead of losing by two. Correct. Yeah. But I think, I think that's what you bring to the table as a, not just you personally, but as a golf instructor, right? If you're a good golf instructor and you actually, because there, there's, let's be honest, there's a lot of bad golf instruction out there, especially yeah. on the World Wide Web. And YouTube. So I think it's one of the well. <laughs> densely populated misinformation things out there. There's yeah. just so much bad information that you can really spiral out of control, especially if you're looking at YouTube. Yeah. yeah. It's just some no. good and good, some good information. I don't sure. want to knock everyone, but no, there's some good stuff, but it's just hard to find. Yeah. 
And, and if you don't know what you're looking for, like exactly. you know, amateur golfer, if you don't know, you don't know. You, have no you don't idea. know what you don't know. Right? TG, because you're a professional and you're good at your craft, but two Joe Schmoes like us wouldn't know any better, and we'd be searching for how to swing a golf club, and we'd run into some stupid shit that we'd be doing. And uh, sound good though. Yeah, I'm sure. That, I'm sure it sounds great, but, but like visually, we wouldn't like, see results. When I see stuff right. on YouTube, and like I've I've gotten out of that completely. I don't do that at all anymore. Like I used to do that a ton before I started. I was saying, I hope not. Like, you have a very, like, you have an extremely good like, coach. I would you know, like, how do I make not... myself better? I never knew what I was looking at, but if I do that now, I always relay it back to okay, this is what TJ and I talked about, and I look for like certain things, like okay, this is what yeah. they're doing. There's some consistencies with that. Does that make sense? But there, there is a lot. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of bad golf instruction and videos on Instagram and YouTube yeah. and like, this is how you do it. And there's no, I don't think there's, do you TJ think there's one, there, there's probably consistencies that you have to have in every swing and good golfers are at some point, they're all equal or, or within some sort of range at, at each part of their swing. But every swing's biomechanically a little different because everybody's body looks, works a little differently that you can't be, you know, you got to know the player before you can give advice. I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I would just look at the guys out on tour and I would say for the vast majority of them, obviously the outliers like the DJs, Matthew Wolf, maybe not even Matthew Wolf. But so there's certain swings that you look at. Like a little unconventional. Different. Okay. Yeah. But the vast majority of them, and that's what I was referring to earlier with this big data study that Golf Tech did, there are certain things in the golf swing that every elite player does or within certain parameters. And so and does like, that include, that includes Wolf and DJ? Yes. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. yeah. So like, for example, having in the downswing, the hands like through the middle portion or like the lower portion of the right bicep somewhere in that range, that's where the vast majority of the best players in the world are. So if you're like top of the shoulder, like where you were, Chris, or if you're like really far low, then that doesn't exactly correlate with someone who hits the ball at a very high level or having some sort of like lead wrist bent a little bit. Certain things definitely correlate with skill. So while how do they get there? If you look at Matthew Wolf's downswing, for example, from also as he starts down, about like almost not quite halfway, like you wouldn't know who it is looking at that downswing. It's very conventional okay. from that point. That's how he gets there. Yeah. Same thing for DJ. And obviously all the other really great ball strikers, but they're all doing it in a very similar fashion. When you look at those specific points in the swing. Sure. Interesting. So have you got, if you just took four snapshots of four different golfers that have completely different takeaways, really good golfers at some point in the swing, they'd all be in that consistent spot and you couldn't really tell them apart. Yeah, other than looking at like a silhouette or like yeah, of their correct. body type, like, you'd be like if you just kind of tell. If you just, if you just showed where their hands were at, essentially. Yeah, and then you would look at like Justin Rose, Rory, Colin Morikawa, Matthew Wolf. You'd be hard pressed to know exactly who is who if you're looking at some of those points. Okay. I'll never get there. So good to know. <laughs> yeah, and again, remember, I'm I'm talking about like the top 15 best players in <clears throat> yes. the world. Yeah, not you, Mark. Which I, I think that sometimes that actually goes lightly. Like you, you talk about someone who's like Kevin Kisner, who's like the 25th best player in the world. Like he's still really good. Not yeah. talked about any of the time, but he's the he, 25th he, best yeah. in his it, craft. He he's very open about being okay with being the 20th or 25th best person in the, in any round. <laughs> 
or any tournament, I should say. TJ, I got two more questions for you. Is Chris your biggest success story? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Or do I need to beat it? That's get fine. There? No, that or leads do... into my second question. Yeah. Okay. So Chris has not broke 80 yet. What do we get? What's so I don't want to give it again. I don't want to give away your trade secrets, but what does Chris have to work on next to break 80? Play for your holes. And just Oh my god, I love it. I, so I hit 81 three times this lesson, year. Chris. Yeah. I can't wait for our next lesson. <laughs> um, no, I, I think we touched on some of that stuff lately, like tonight, but it's double bogey avoidance. Are you still hitting a push when you want to hit the push? Is, is it cur- still curving a little left? We really haven't spent a whole heck of a lot of time on your driver. Sure, almost every lesson we've done has all been irons. Yeah. So, you know, what other aspects of the game? And that's really where we'd round out to take you from that eight to a six to a four would be the next steps. Look for a layman person like me. So Chris went from a 13 to an eight in essentially a year. What do you think it's going to take to get him from an eight to a six to a four? Like you just said, like and be as general as possible. Again, I don't need just you need to give away your secrets, but what do you yeah, think? No, there, I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if we have a, if another conversation a year from now if he's trending to a four in a year i wouldn't be surprised boom all right let's you gotta put in the work mark you gotta put in the work you You gotta gotta break 80 is what you gotta do yeah i'll do it maybe i'll do it this week we're going to yeah right you on wednesday yeah keep oh you got the cup you're ready to go i'll do it at ocean course on wednesday or thursday yeah if i break 80 at ocean course Uh, you break be... 80 at, if you break 80 at the ocean course that's a good place to i do might it. just quit i might just be done never play golf again <laughs> don't, that, that i don't believe <laughs> that's not the attitude we need chris yeah you, you gotta shoot 79 at the ocean and say how do i do better yeah <laughs> how, how do i get down to what 72? could i have done better today <laughs> i want to get back to even par so when you're at coastal who was who would have been there dj wouldn't have been there yeah he was he was there. He was there because yeah. TJ is two years younger than me from a school standpoint. Same age as Pat. Okay. So you know him. Mm-hmm. Casually. We played, yeah, I think sure. we played like one or two rounds of golf together, played basketball occasionally, and then, you know, the blackout college parties. <laughs> so when you saw him, did you know, Did like watching him play then, did you know – he had the talent to be a that this level of a professional golfer. There was there's always something different about him, and yeah. in talking with a few of the other guys in the team now, they'll reiterate the same thing. Like he just had that extra drive. Like the I'm going to make a 16 footer on the 18th hole so I can put food on the table type idea. And not everyone. I think there were other guys who actually, when he was in college, I think there was maybe like one other guy who, in my opinion, was better, but didn't have that same kind of drive to become either become the best or mm-hmm. absolutely have the have the stomach for the competition aspect of sure. it. Sure. Was he a good basketball player? Yes. He just seems like a stupidly good athlete that he might. He was just, good at everything, whether yeah. it was um, basketball. Uh, beer pong, whatever it was. <laughs> a, really good athlete. Flip cop. 
not hockey. That he'll leave that to his father-in-law. But yeah, yeah, I don't know if he can ice skate. Yeah, I was to say he just seems like a <laughs> like something. He just be like, he just so football. dumb. He'd be good at anything. He does. Yeah, but you just give him anything, and yeah, he's just one of those guys. Yeah, for sure. Oof. All right, TJ. So this is a good. Uh, this is where we give you the opportunity to do any shameless plugs you want to do. Instagram, Twitter, Golf Tech, Golf Tech, your website. Yeah, I'm at TJ Sullivan PGA on Twitter and Instagram. You can go to golftech.com and find the location nearest you. And TJ started doing TJ's Thursday tips, which are probably going to be pretty good. Did I say that yeah. Thursday tips from TJ? Uh, Thursday tips with TJ. Yeah. Thursday tips with I, TJ. I started just a tip doing with it. TJ. I have yeah, just a tip. I started doing it on Tuesdays. <laughs> too, too easy. So I have every all my notes and everything are Tuesday tips, but then I realized that I was just too lazy on Tuesdays or too busy <laughs> on Tuesdays, so I had to push it to Thursdays and I had to still work. So here's my I promise my last question. So obviously Please. you're world renowned, state renowned. Do you have openings? If our listeners call and want to get TJ, <laughs> good luck. Could they get you? You gotta know. It, it, you gotta it, know him. I would say. So I think the the first answer is yeah. Give us a call, and if I'm not available, then one of my coaches. I actually trust all my students with all my coaches. Uh-huh. I think they're very good, and at times can give or relay information even better than I can. Yeah, it's just it's. I think if someone new did want to come in, it'd probably be like generally the first week of april at this point okay 2022 damn it <laughs> Fuck. Okay. 2023 chris yeah. i'm coming for you i've got five lessons lined up after uh giwa after giwa okay yeah. perfect yeah yeah, yeah we, we couldn't we i just couldn't find anything the other thing is like i i have a family and i could probably work more hours and yeah. i could stay later oh, and get in earlier and it was just like a, it's a and that's one of the great things about where i am it's I have the flexibility to do something like that where if I was independent contractor, I would be working eight to 12 hour days every day and yep. not really being home with the family. And it's important to me. I was yeah. going to say, you'd work a minimum of 60 hours a week, every week, probably, if that was the case. Yeah, easily. My friends do it. And I'm just like, it's not a way to survive. Yeah. Yeah, and plus okay. golf tech gives you a good support system and gives you a good opportunity for your platform and to teach players and it's it's not like it's like golf tech's out of necessity it's a good it's a good company it's a good institution right like you probably have oh, the ability fantastic. you probably have the ability at your point in your career to go and do whatever you want and work for whoever you want to and it says a lot about golf tech that you you've stayed there and you still work there and you've been there for your whole career i mean yeah, not a lot of people do that Especially With those accolades, you could go anywhere the hell you want to, and if, in the if golf that's where industry. you want to, if that's yeah. golf tech is where you want to go, then perfect. Yeah. How many people in the golf industry stay at one place for more than a couple of years? Rare. Yeah. 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 So it just it just speaks volumes of, to their program and, and to what what they offer their coaches and, and more importantly their players. Thanks so much, guys. I appreciate yeah, thanks, it. Thanks, Marcus, thanks, pleasure meeting you. Chris, good talking to you. Yeah, TJ, yeah. I might reach out to you for that special favor on those, those special lessons or anything like that. April. So, yeah, give me a call. Pencil April in. Mark, Mark, could, Mark can use some help. I'll just cancel one of Chris's lessons. And then, <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> 
Just say you're not feeling well or something. <laughs> say, yeah. So you're coming down with the flu. I'll just pay you more. I can't. I can't make it in. Okay. Can I still come in practice? No. <laughs> you actually can't come in. Today. No. No. You can't come in for a week. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks, TJ. Thanks, appreciate TJ. It, I appreciate thank, it. Thank you, guys. Yeah. This has been good. Appreciate night. it. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this episode of the Breakfast Balls podcast. If you like what you heard and like learning from our mistakes, please subscribe. Also, if you're on Instagram, please follow us at breakfastballs.podcast. Panda! Listen!